Okay, so we are going to be continuing in our, in our series on James. For those of us who haven't been able to follow along, we've been working through the whole book of James. And so this morning we find ourselves at James chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at from verses 11 through to verses 5 um, of chapter 5. So just to recap, um, this letter was written to the, the Messianic community. So these would have been um, Israeli Christians um, that had spread out from Israel to neighboring lands. And as we've determined in, in, in previous sermons, they weren't very wealthy people. Um, they were, we, we, we believe that they were people who had lots of small businesses. Now, at that time, the Jews were, were known for their business acumen. They were, and I think they still are today, they were really good at business. And um, they had good administration skills, able to move money around, able to manage assets, buying, selling, trading, balancing books, etc., etc. They were really good at those aspects. And it's helpful for us to remember that the Jews came from an early economic system at the temple that most of the countries around Israel didn't have. They had a public works system established at the temple that enabled them to manage huge herds of livestock, grain stores, fabric, those kinds of things, buying and trading, as well as the infrastructure system that went along with that. So we can imagine the organization that would have been required to be able to manage those kinds of numbers, especially during the sacrificial system. And that's also besides the fact that Israel is on a trade route in that region of the world, which is why the Romans wanted to rule that particular part of of the land as well. And so the Jews as a people came away with really good business skills. And they would go to settle in neighboring lands, and there they would set up small businesses I think in our context here in South Africa, we could best compare them to the foreign nationals who have come from other parts of Africa with business skills, and then they come and they set up little spaza shops in informal settlements, barbers, salons, small electronic stores, they become Uber drivers, etc., etc. And so James here, while he's writing this letter, he's writing to those kinds of people. And he's writing to them about the problems that they face where they are. And as he writes, we're going to read now, he gives them three sobering warnings against judging, boasting, and hoarding wealth. And we're going to read those verses now. I hope you can make it out. I've left in those little headings that appear in your Bibles just to help to see where the transition happens. So this is, this is what James says. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, 
the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And then chapter 5 says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So, very interesting text there. I'm sure we're all quite familiar with those, with those things. And I've entitled this morning's message, um, Don't Be So Jajarach, <laughs> over 6,926 rand and 12 cents. Now, I'm sure... Many of us here are familiar with what the term jajarach means. If you aren't familiar, it's a term that comes from the Cape Flats and has spread beyond. Um, it basically means um, don't be so quick to negatively assess someone else. And then I'll explain that 6,926 rand and 12 cents a little bit later on. Now, this particular text presents us with values or standards that we are not unfamiliar with. In fact, they could even be seen as universal principles to live by that can even be found in other systems of belief. And so there's not any new deep theology, I think, that is being communicated here through James's words. In the portion of scripture we read, we see James, or as Mary, his mother, would have called him Yaakov, he gives us three warnings against judging, boasting, and hoarding wealth. Now, I would imagine that we have all heard warnings against these things countless times. I can remember as a boy um, being taught these aspects of life by my parents and by my elders and so I assume that this text doesn't present us with any new concept or doctrine. So I would like for us to consider what Yaakov or James is saying to us here in this text by doing a character study of a character that we encounter in Scripture. Now as we're going to unpack 
this character, I must confess to you, um, and as we consider these aspects and look at the character, that you might find yourself disagreeing with some of what I have to say. But I wouldn't want you to be put off by that. I would rather want you to try to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you regardless. Because I believe this is what James is requiring of listeners to search our hearts as we open ourselves up to the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to look at the story of a man in the Bible who really took the ultimate plunge to disaster. And I'm referring to Judas, the disciple who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's easy for us to picture Judas as some kind of an evil, dark-eyed villain. That comes from a Sunday school coloring in book. However, I think the truth is that Judas was actually a man very much just like me and very much just like you. And I think that probably if we had been there at the time, and got to meet Jesus and his disciples. And we needed to guess which one of the disciples would betray Jesus, we would not have known. When Jesus said to the disciples in a group around the table, one of you will betray me, all of them said, Lord, is it I? None of them said, Lord, it is Judas. They would never have guessed that there was something desperately wrong in Judas's heart. And there were only two people who knew about it. That was Judas and Jesus. Now, Judas was a man who was given incredible privileges. Just think about this. Judas actually physically walked with Jesus. If you're looking at the person next to you, that is how close Judas was to Jesus. Judas was invited to become one of the 12 most intimate, close associates that Jesus chose to have around him. And Jesus even called Judas friend. So Jesus would have smiled and shared many stories with him. They would have had special moments between Judas and Jesus. And also, not only was Judas one who walked with Jesus, but he was also one who was trusted with responsibility. Judas was the one who managed the money for the group of disciples. And donations were given to Jesus and the disciples in their ministry, and so they were handled by Judas. And so we can assume that Jesus gave this important job to Judas for the simple reason that he was the best person equipped to do it, which to me is actually quite striking, because in the group was Matthew, who had a background of working with tax. Judas had the gifts and the temperament to do this very important job. Now, if we think about ourselves, we have a very competent person in Taryn, who looks after our finances. Now, we didn't draw Taryn's name from a hat. 
we actually sat down and carefully considered who the person would be to best fill that position. And the same can be said for Judas. Judas also had spiritual gifts for ministry. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1 that Jesus called the 12 disciples to him, and the 12 disciples included Judas. And then Matthew says that Jesus gave them authority to drive out demons, to heal disease and sickness of every kind. And so here is a man, as we build a picture of him, who walked with Jesus Christ, who was trusted with responsibility in the community of believers and was given spiritual gifts for ministry. God used Judas to release other people from the power of Satan. We should have no doubt that there will be people in heaven who we may talk to one day ourselves who would be able to say to you, I came to faith through the ministry of Judas Iscariot. Now that fact should start to make us think already. You see, Judas warns us about becoming complacent in our privileges. And I believe that as we look at Judas and we read what James writes to believers concerning judging, boasting, and hoarding wealth, we actually need to sit up and take note. So here's a list of questions to consider at this point. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you been given responsibilities as a believer? Has God given you the spiritual gifts through the power of his Holy Spirit? Is there evidence of God working in your life? Now, if you answered yes to all of those questions, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say yes, then let me tell you, Judas could say yes to all of those things as well. And so if we think about the warnings that James gives us about judging, boasting, and about managing our desire for money, we need to ask ourselves, where does that leave us this morning? And I think it's important for us to grasp this because I think there are some believers who get themselves all confused as soon as they come to the character of Judas. Because they have this understanding that Judas couldn't help himself. They would notice that the Old Testament prophesied in Zechariah chapter 11 that someone would betray Jesus. And they draw the conclusion that somehow Judas uniquely in the history of human humanity must have been operating under some kind of obligation that he didn't have any choice that he had no say in the matter that he was some kind of robot that had been born pre-programmed to betray Jesus and that his actions were somehow outside and beyond his control I don't believe that that is accurate. And I don't believe that that is the story of God and man. The story of Judas is not the story of an unfortunate man 
who was pre-programmed to betray Jesus. I think rather it is a story of a man who was greatly used by Jesus, but he lost his way through a series of disastrous decisions and choices. We know that much has been written about the character of Judas. There's even an ancient manuscript that was found in 1970s in Egypt by the National Geographic Society that they've called the Gospel of Judas, which actually describes Judas in very different terms to the way he has come to be interpreted. And there are some people who say that maybe Judas was a zealot and he became completely disillusioned with what Jesus was doing and teaching and being about, kind of like the way we become disillusioned with our leaders. And then there are others who say that he didn't actually intend for Jesus to die. Jesus' death was something that just kind of happened as the story unfolded. And there are a number of other theories that try to explain and help us to understand this character of Judas. But the Bible only identifies one issue at the core of Judas's betrayal, and that's money. Judas was gripped by the power of money. And we see a pattern emerge with Judas and money as we read through the scriptures and follow along with his story. In John chapter 12, there's the account of Mary who anoints Jesus' feet and with this expensive oil, and she dries it with her hair. We know the story. And then Judas became very frustrated by this, and he immediately said, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? This was worth a year's wages. And then John records that he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and the one who kept the money bag. Jesus and the disciples received gifts of of money from people as they were moving around. And this money was managed by Judas. And the money would have been used for two purposes. Firstly, to sustain Jesus and the disciples in their ministries. That might have been food, travel expenses, etc., etc. And secondly, at times it was used to be given to the poor. And Judas would steal from this money. Now consider this. Imagine you're managing a fund of money for someone, but you're stealing from that fund. You would want that fund to be as big as possible. So imagine Judas's response when opportunities to grow this fund that was under his management were missed. Remember the story of the, of the rich young ruler Jesus told him, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And Judas must have been, I imagine, so upset, thinking about how that money could have been managed under his control. But you know, in that story, we see that Jesus himself wasn't in pursuit of money. Jesus didn't even go after this rich young ruler. 
Jesus let that young man, that wealthy young man, walk away. And Judas would have, Judas would have thought to himself, what a donor we just lost. And then there's the story of Zacchaeus, the tax man. And Judas might have been thinking to himself, I can manage that portfolio. Thinking of all the money that Zacchaeus had embezzled coming into the fund under his control. But Jesus again made no attempt to bring that money under their control. And so clearly I think there was a fundamental shift that happened in Judas's heart and in his mind based on his greed to make more money. There was a point in Judas's life early on when he must have said, Lord Jesus, my life is about serving you. But then as time went along, he got to the point somewhere when he said, Lord Jesus, my life is about walking with you and making money. Now I think this is a, this is a serious issue that has actually gripped the life of the church. This issue of the church making money out of Jesus, but that's probably for another sermon. But of course, Judas found that walking with Jesus wasn't making the money, and so he looked to see another way that he could make money without Jesus. And so it is very significant that Matthew tells us that it was immediately after the incident with the pouring of the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, that Judas went straight to the chief priests and to the elders in the temple, and he said, what will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And Jesus, I believe, said this, because you will find that both of them, God and money, make great demands on you. And so you have to decide which one you're going to serve. And in the case of Judas, Judas failed in his choice. And so we can ask ourselves this morning, what will we choose in the last days? James chapter 4 verses 11 through to chapter 5 and verse 5 speaks to us about judging, boasting, and hoarding wealth. Now I want to confess to you this morning that for a very long time I judged Judas. I judged him. And out of my judgment for Judas, I boasted that I was better than him. I boasted that what Jesus, what Judas did to Jesus is something that I could never do. 6,926 6, rand and 12 cents would be the current price for 30 pieces of silver. 6,926 rand and 12 cents based on each coin weighing 14 grams. I asked myself the question, could I betray someone for that amount of money today? 
And we should ask ourselves the same thing. And I imagine that in the current climate across the world, in the hearts and minds of men and women, it wouldn't be too hard to find someone who would be willing to betray Jesus for that money. In fact, I think people betray Jesus for a lot less than 6,926 rand and 12 cents on a daily basis. And they boast about it. And they tweet about it. And they Instagram about it. But when I search my own heart, and I honestly consider the life of someone who was very close to Jesus in the person of Judas, I realize that I must listen to the warning that James gives us here and not boast that something like what Judas did is beyond even me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that directs us in the way that we should go. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to learn from others. And we ask, Lord, that as we continue our lives in these, the last days, that we would learn from one another. That even as we reflect on the words of James this morning, that we, know we would not find ourselves believing that we've heard this before and we'd never be capable of something like that. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be walking with us that you would be guiding us and leading us as we move through these last days. So, Father, we thank you for this time of fellowship, of worship that we could share with one another. We thank you even, Lord, that we could dedicate young Lily this morning. And, Lord, we ask your blessing over the rest of this day. We ask your blessing over this week that lies ahead of us. And even now, as times become more busy, as the threat of a new strain looms in the back of our minds, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that even as we have to manage all of these different things, that we would always be mindful of the truth and the reality of your word that guides us and leads us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.